Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Woman's Hour. She's back, back, back again. We have Elaine Adupoku. Elaine, hello. Good afternoon, everybody, or good morning or evening, whatever time you're watching. Exactly. Middle of the night sometimes. A lot of people write to me and say, I got up last night and watched three Black Women's Hour back to back. So I don't know if they watch it to get to sleep. That's not good. I don't like that. Don't tell me that again. My trusty sidekick is here, Aisha. Is that not now? You're not going to speak. <laughs> no, that was like, have you that was today. Hi. <laughs> How's it all going? Um, yeah, good. Uh, lots of work. See yesterday, just daily see report, and hopefully see later. Well, that's what people want to hear about. Aisha swims in the sea, Femi, and every time she goes in, she loses a little bit more of her culture. Femi. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. We have Femi Nightlander, who is what would you describe yourself as? An activist? Activist, filmmaker. Are you an activist? Uh, so um yeah, filmmaker and um uh yeah, filmmaker and activist, I guess. Yeah, Oxford graduate, please. You're a Nigerian boy. Your mother would not forgive me if we do not say Indeed. Niger boy. Yes. Exactly. Anyone, anyone who <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Niger boy. Like my little son, he met. My son is a Niger boy. He will not um, even speak about his Caribbean side. I've given up now. He's just a Niger boy, as far as he's concerned. But I love that, though. I think it's really cool. So, uh, Femi, tell us about the film that you have out at the moment. Your documentary it's called film. African Apocalypse. Um, and it is yeah. about um, when the French invaded uh, Niger. Um, which is just above Nigeria, obviously, um, just north of Nigeria, and all the massacres and atrocities that they did and how that ties in to the general idea of colonialism as a um, violent project uh, for kind of conquest rather than kind of the civilizing mission that is portrayed as in the West. And um, yeah, it, it, it is, the thing that I like about the film is that it gets a lot of direct testimony from the people of Niger. So I'm kind of presenting it, but a lot of, what you hear in the film is the people who've never got a chance to tell their story really saying this is what happened to us this is why we think we deserve reparation this is how it continues today um because it's not really over there's what's called neo-colonialism and you can watch it on iPlayer if you want it's called African Apocalypse it'll be on iPlayer for uh, the next 10-11 months okay we will put a link to that I really want to watch that that's amazing really because what really annoys me and a lot of black people is First of all, we're not allowed to tell our own stories. And second of all, we're never really told what happened. We're, we're given the impression there was no rebellion, you know, like we walked into slavery and we walked into these things and there was never any fight back or never any pushback, you know, and it has this portrayed. So yeah, really thank you for making that. Is that what you wanted to do all the time? What did you read at uni? I did politics, philosophy, economics. So uh, a big mix of stuff. <laughs> and you didn't yeah, think you'd um, end up being a spad because I thought that was the general route for PPE grads, no? I was going to yeah, say the, that. The general route for PPE grads is conservative uh, minister, banker, consultant, uh, hotshot lawyer, a lot of other boring things that help you make lots of money. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't go down that route. Thanks you chose a better route. I still Indeed. think you could be a so. prime minister. PPE. 
Mm -hmm. You still think what, Elaine, sorry? He could be a future prime minister with the PPE stuff. I think, but most of them have studied PPE, haven't they? A lot of them, yeah. This country would never have the sense to make Femi prime minister. And that's all <laughs> I, I agree with you. This country, I don't even know what's going on. I just don't think they've got, like, if they knew what was good for them, they would. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you had Corbyn, who's like centre left. I mean, he's not as far left as people say, and they didn't want that. Look how they reacted to that. So can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. I can't even. Elaine? I was going to say, but we've like, we're post-racism now, so there's nothing to oh, stop yeah. them voting oh, for a black prime minister. Well, I wanted to speak to you a bit about universities yeah. because um, both you and I, mm -hmm. we get called up to do these commentaries, don't we, on a lot of these things. And the other day in Oxford University, I think it was in Magdalen College. Did they say Magdalen, yeah. Magdalen? Magdalen, Magdalen? I don't know. Magdalen, I thought so, because I, yeah. I got into an argument in a gig once in Oxford. It's not worth going into. But um, <laughs> so I think this guy was going, the locals call it Magdalene, they call it Magdalene. So I don't know. So um, <laughs> in Magdalene College, basically, they took down a portrait of the Queen. And that's what happened, like, whenever something's happening, do you know what I mean? Like, whenever students are doing something, and you were really active at uni, um, Femi, because we came into contact a few times, didn't we? Um, mm -hmm. with sort of my work, you were part of We Too Are Oxford. Because um, I actually met Femi years ago. I met Femi when he was about 15, in public, Elaine, when I was with <laughs> my 15-year-old and my nine-year-old at the time. And he saw me, we were in Manchester and he was going up an escalator and whatever. I think and we had each other you on Facebook. Papped. So You um, got papped because I recognised yeah. you from the TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we were just... I'd waved to each other. Then we sort of, you know, I got his name and we I added him on Facebook. And we sort of, so I've sort of seen you blossom and grow and like become more political. And some of the campaigns that you were involved in were really, really good. So, I mean, we'll just start with why do, because I, I think for me, that thing that we had the other day, the debate about taking the portrait of the Queen down. Do you know what I mean? Like, come on, stop it now the fuss that's being made, but in the past few years, I would say in the past maybe five years, maybe I'm wrong because I haven't been to uni in the last five years. Does it seem to you there's been a clampdown on university students and what and trying to control what they're doing? What would you say, Femi? Uh, yeah, I think that um, they, the powers that be, they want to kind of contrive this idea of the culture war and rally of all the kind of jingoists and nationalists by making it seem as though all of these super woke, anti-free speech, um, cancel culture students are trying to ruin everything about British culture. And so they try and stir these things up. For example, a bunch of students decide that they want to take down a portrait of the Queen that they only put up a few years ago. Um, and suddenly all the news is saying the Queen has been cancelled. So the Queen hasn't been cancelled. Look in your wallet. <laughs> You'll see the Queen. Um, so <laughs> the Queen hasn't been cancelled. Just some kids have decided that they want to take down a picture of her, right? And so they love to, especially they love to firstly discredit the valid concerns that students raise around things like the road statue, which is what I was involved in. Um, about um, colonial history and all this kind of stuff by trying to make it seem so ridiculous by latching onto every little thing that happens. And then also, yeah, it provides a distraction. If, if the front page of the news is, is about, um, is, is getting people riled up about s some students taking down a picture of the Queen, 
then it's not going to be about the failures of government. It's not going to be about um, the failures of Michael Gove, Boris Johnson. It's not going to be about that stuff, right? So it's, it's part of this manufactured culture war, I think. Because, I mean, it was, I mean, I was thinking the same, like Michael Gove was uh, held to have acted unlawfully. And we're talking about portrait of the Queen. And let's be real, you know, they're students. Surprised they put it up in the first place. They're young people. Yeah. It's hardly like, you know, they're going to, the Queen's one for the frigging wank bank. Probably wanting to put Beyonce up there. Just they're young people. Let them put up what they want to put up. It was so stupid. Elaine, you were at uni. You don't have to say what year. Because um, uh, we, we don't <laughs> want you to over age. Auntie Elaine. But when you were at uni, and yeah. did was there that much? I mean, you were very involved with the Africa in society. society. Yeah. Did you feel there was a lot of stress from above of trying to control you guys and what you guys could do and say? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there was. And it's really strange to me when I'm seeing what's going on now because university is supposed to be the place where you develop your critical thinking. It's supposed to be the place where um, you, you get your teeth stuck Chief Cup, whether you become the NUS president, whether you become the a president at ACS or you or any of the other things that take place. It's not all about the drinking in Freshers Week, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's what I was taught that university was supposed to be about. And obviously the future leaders come from, it doesn't matter which political persuasion you come from it's like oh I used to be the head of the NUS I used to do such and such so this current wave of thinking seems to run very contrary to the school of thought that they would have come from come from and at the time when I was at university it was a um I mean I don't mind saying my age I mean you can go if you depend on if you google me whatever you'll be able to see my first election that I voted in, um, it was massive because it, we basically Tony Blair became the prime minister during my time at university. And so that was a massive uh, trajectory for all of us who'd basically been raised during the Tory years, um, whether it was Margaret Thatcher or John Major. And I guess people forget that John Major was prime minister because it seemed like it was quite uneventful compared to what happened before and what happened afterwards. But we had the student, we had lots of student demonstrations there. That was a time when people were demonstrating about um, the abolition of student grants, which for you guys now, I remember when I was working in, in Whitehall when there was the massive student demonstrations about the introduction of these new tuition fees. Um, but why wouldn't you demonstrate? Because if you're asking people to become in debt for potentially the rest of their lives, um, obviously you're going to demonstrate. And when you think about, when you've even gone to university or you're studying at school about successful protests, I don't see how you can say that on one hand now in 2021, that people like the suffragettes are now somebody should be looked at. Somebody threw themselves underneath the horse. They, they killed themselves because of the fact they were trying to protest for what they wanted. When you're now saying that um, Nelson Mandela and the ANC and all of those people are now great people. Back in the day, you didn't think that they were, but students here in the 80s, as well as around the world, were demonstrating. And I got this, and for me, like, I think we discussed this before when we were talking about our identity and about 
when you're finding yourself at uni that's when you are finding yourself you're finding out who you are without your parents you're you're challenging what your parents have taught you as well as trying to actually ascertain what it means for yourself as well and it's it's going to be really sad if um these people who in some of the press when they're talking about anti-wokeness shut up you were all woke woke in the traditional sense means that you're becoming enlightened not this nonsense that they're spouting off where it basically means you're challenging being racist or challenging um, sexism or anything like that it's just literally you you're you're you're, awa you're awakening you're finding yourself so yeah um and back to my time at uni there were the societies that did um that did uh, were definitely more active um uh, the ACS, I didn't, I wasn't uh, in that respect. I mean, it was a challenge myself, the fact I was one of the few black people in my university anyway. Um, so um, if I'd done my time again, would I have been? Possibly, um, but I don't know. And I'm really grateful to people who are. Yeah. You, you are seeing the difference with today. What about you, Aisha, you were gonna say? I was just gonna say that um, the, the thing that Aisha. people forget, <laughs> can you hear me now? <laughs> um, is that, that most of these students would have been white. So this isn't some, you know, big Black Lives Matter movement full of these um, woke black students that made this decision. These are white students that will, I mean, I don't know if Femi was an, is an Oxford graduate, so you'll know the numbers, but I mean, Jesus, at Manchester 20 years ago, there were hardly any black, more Asian, but hardly any black students. So, um, in terms of what I assume is the Oxford intake now, they can't be that high. Um, so these are white students that made this and it's being portrayed as this, this huge thing. I, I find the whole thing a really, I found it bizarre that it even made the news. Um, I really agree with Elaine on that point. It's a huge diversion, especially on the day that Gove was found and Femi as well said it, to have acted unlawfully. It just seems like, what was it? The dead cat technique? Mm. Um, but my time at university, um, again, I could probably name every single black person at my uni and the ACS was actually that we were open to any and everybody because I think there were probably, um, if I'm exaggerating, if there were 50 of us, that would be a good thing. But then at the other university, there were obviously more, well, not obviously, but I'm not saying where I went there yet. When we were speaking about, uh, like Elaine was talking about the fact that Oxford really isn't, no, Aisha, the Oxford, they're, they're making out like this, this crazy gang of black students and, you know, and mm -hmm. Femi, one of the things that you got involved in, because Oxford's still not that much better, it seems to me that they're, the Tories know that they're soon going to be, you know, as young people are coming up, if you look at the voting figures, people are, the younger people are definitely Labour, they're not interested in the Tories and stuff like that, so even when it came to who goes to Oxford University, they put a really sad story in the paper the other day that, oh, well, Oxford has to take all these, Oxford and Cambridge have to take all these state school kids. Um, so now they're having to go over to Ivy League schools yeah. like Harvard in America, like that's supposed to make people feel sorry. I mean, Femi, you are the youngest of us by a long way. And what I was trying to say was that our paths crossed again when I was at the Telegraph. And you were doing, you were involved in We Too Are Oxford, right? So there was, you tell us a I, there bit was about I that? Too Am Oxford, and then there was Rodman's Four. Right. I Too Am Oxford was years ago um, when I was an undergrad, yeah. and that was a campaign to kind of um, draw attention to racist comments and microaggressions and stuff 
at the university and we all had would write down things that we heard and there was a big photo campaign um and then that kind of helped build the infrastructure to what then became the roads and sports stuff which then was in the, all the national news and centered around the statue of Rhodes. started to look at the underrepresentation of black students the um the the kind of non diversity of the syllabus and the fact that the syllabus just wants everyone to learn about Virginia Woolf and um, Henry VIII and his various wives and how he topped them all off and all of this other stuff which has no <laughs> no kind of bearing to, to the real world and to minority students um, desire for knowledge and then of course as well the kind of fact that you have slave owners and colonialists kind of all over the place on statues and plaques and the rest and that kind of links to what we saw in Bristol as well with Colston and all of this that and the rest. So there was loads of stuff um, which happened. And I think as well, the Telegraph and the um, Daily Mail and these things, they, they latch onto it as well when it happens at Oxford. Uh, if, if it happened at um, Oxford Brooks or if it happened at, um, or even if it happened at like Durham or something, it wouldn't be as big a story. But because half the Telegraph comes from Oxbridge in the first place, and um, because they, they, they love these stories about um, these centers of learning, they, they latch onto these stories and they amplify them. Um, but yeah, it was an, it's been an interesting, an interesting time um, going there and dealing with media as, as they try and spin everything into this kind of woke students ruining country story. Can I just say, when I wrote for the Telegraph about the Oxford campaign, it was very positive and I wrote about it, but yeah, the grief I got from Telegraph readers for saying it was a positive yep. thing. Um, yeah, and writing about microaggressions and stuff like that. Ended up doing the Today program stuff. They just get really mad and end up proving your point. So, I mean, when was the last time you were there? Because I remember seeing you again in the newspapers as you were walking. The security guard had taken your photo, hadn't he? And yeah. photocop said, if you see this man, please beware or call the police or something. Like, Honestly, like it just seemed non-stop for you there. Yeah. Do you speak to anyone at Oxford now and have things improved in the short time that you've, <laughs> relatively short time since you've left, really? Yeah, so um, I, like I said, I was, I was at the uni from 2013 to 16. And then I think that happened in 2017 when I was back visiting a friend. And I'm still around in the city. Um, and I live on a narrow, narrow boat, you can, you can see. I've got the... Um, that's what all the background noise is. It's all the people doing their oh, rowing. Uh, fair, fair, fair. Well, I've been muting myself when I'm not speaking. Um, but um, yeah, so I'm still about. And I think it has improved in some ways. I think there's more black students who are taken in. But I think in other ways, um, it's still got a long, long, long way to go. And it um, is, it's not, it's, I think any improvement which have happened have happened as a result of the movement which have been pushing pushing the university to do more. It's not had happened as a result of the university kind of doing it off its own back, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think I think we're still a long, a long way off um, where we'd want to be. But there's a new generation of kind of university activists doing, doing that stuff now. And I'm, I'm focusing on my films and other, other bits and bobs. I've got a question to ask, yeah. might be a bit cheeky. And that is, um, does the University Alumni Society write to you to ask them to donate money? Because I get lots of that from my uni years later. But obviously, if they are think that you're a problem and like you can't necessarily walk around there that easily, um, are you a good patron for them still? Yeah, no, my college, not the university itself, but my college don't 
call sends me messages like every year going, Oh, there's this. Uh, can you help us raise? I'm, like, I'm just like, Nope, nope. <laughs> like I say, because I because I live on a houseboat, um, a narrow boat, my official address is still up in the north where my parents' address would be because I own this boat and I live on it. And so I sometimes every now and then I'll get a call from my my mum saying, Oh, I got this letter from your college. Um, do you want me to keep it? And I'm like, is it asking for money? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, burn it, please. <laughs> Get rid of it. I don't need it. Yeah. Always the way. Are you sure you were about to say? Well, one of our previous guests, um, Adam uh, Elliot Cooper, talked about the how colonial the actual, the structures and the systems within um, Oxbridge are. He talked about the funding of departments. The, there was one basically about resources in, and I can't remember the way that developing countries was phrased, but essentially it was more raping and pillaging. They call it soft imperialism. I'm not sure what's soft about it. It's still raping and pillaging. But um, but yeah, being asked to donate money <laughs> to, to colleges or institutions that are still doing the stuff, it, it's a bit of a slap in the face, isn't it? You know, um, and it, that what you're talking about in terms of activism, I mean, there are the statues, aren't there? But there is also the sort of the brass tacks of education that and these institutions that needs tackling. And it isn't just, I mean, the curriculum is just a small part of it, isn't it, really? That's, mm -hmm. It's one, you know, um, um, admissions, it's, but it's also these things like these departments. And also there was that guy, remember, who was, it would, that would stop funding the universities to how much was it ever? A million pounds? Um, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Did you find, like, when you got there and you protested, um, you found out a lot about a lot of hidden stuff? Did it feel insurmountable? Because when they were talking about taking road statue down, all of a sudden, these donors were like, we're going to withdraw a hundred thousand pounds from this college. It was a hundred million. It wasn't, it wasn't a million. A hundred million, sorry. It was, like, it was supposedly, according to the Telegraph, um, which is where the leak happened, there was donors were threatening to pull up to a hundred million pounds um, from um, the college if they went ahead and got rid of the statue. Um, and that all got leaked, which is why it became oh. a big uh, media story. So a lot of money, basically. There's a lot of very, very wealthy donors Everybody's to give money gone. to these co colleges. Oh. But did, did that feel scary to you? It just, it just when you realize, well, hold on a second, like this is kind of big. Like, we're actually the people here now. You're old and crusty, you're not here anymore. You might donate yeah. money, but my god, your your money, you're gonna stop donating it if they take down the statue that you don't have to see every you know what I mean? Did how did that feel? It just makes it clear that the university's priorities, or at least the college's priorities, because it was done, it was the, the decision was supposedly with Oriel College themselves um, and not with their students currently, right? Even when they're students currently, so today, their students currently, even the white students, this, that, and the rest, their MCR, their common room, they're, they're all voting to get rid of the statue. Uh, they put a commission in place which says, um, statue, which, a private commission, which says they should take it down. Um, they themselves, last year when we organized a protest with like 2,000 people, said, okay, we want to take it down. And then they just backtrack on all of it because of the fact that there's a load of, as you say, crusty old white men in um, their, their mansions and their offices who are like, oh, no, we must re retain the statue of Rhodes because Rhodes tells us about colonial glory, right? You, you just have these old farts who just have no 
um, inkling as to the real world, but have a lot of money. And they're the ones yeah. that are really pulling the strings. Would you recommend to a young black person that they go to Oxford or Cambridge after your experiences? Uh, I think that the way that the UK society is structured, there's still a lot of things that you can get and opportunities that you can get from an Oxford or Cambridge degree. But I'd say if I was to recommend a young black person to go to Oxford or Cambridge, or if I did say, I'd say go in with a, um, with a knowledge of what you're going into and also go in and don't allow yourself to just be poached by a big um, corporate who then wants to use you to improve the diversity statistics. Because a lot of young black people, they go in and then the next thing you know, Goldman Sachs and, um, and, and Herbert Smith Freehills and all these big um, kind of corporations zooming in and trying to swoop them up so they can say, oh, look, we're more diverse. And you don't, yeah, it's from, from day one, they're trying to, there's, I remember one of these diversity groups, was, the first thing they asked me was, cool, Femi, do you want to be a banker or a lawyer or a consultant? And I was like, I didn't want to be either any of those things. I didn't know those were my only three options. So I'd say go in with an understanding of, of it. But I would say that you, you still get opportunities from it that you might not get elsewhere. Mm, mm, definitely. So do you think, does everyone here think that the this culture war and this clamp down, I've just noticed, sorry, I'm in front of the Bajan flag and it makes it look like I've got horns. Yeah, <laughs> so it does. Indeed. Oh, sorry, anyway, that's got nothing to do with anything. It's just me being immature. Um, so, uh, does everyone think like this war and woke and stuff is from the fact that the Tories know, like the Republicans in the USA, that as people are getting, you know, this current generation, as they're getting older, they're not really going to be Tories, are they? They're getting, you know, their group is getting smaller, they're going to lose their votes. Because to me, it seems like this current Tory government is putting stuff in place, like they're changing the boundaries when it comes to like wait, you know, the voting and doing it in such a way that it favors them. Like they're going against these different cult, you know, claiming there's a culture war. There's all these flags again, says Avra in front of two flags, but they're decent flags. There's all these, you know, all these things that they seem to be doing, like, you know, bring back the queen and arguing about disrespect of the queen. Do you think this is all being done because they know that they're dying out? Is that my wishful thinking? I think, but I don't think that they do believe that they're dying out because obviously, as I mentioned, like my first election that I was able to vote in was 97. So that was 20, nearly 20 years of conservative rule before then. And the fact that they have managed to reposition themselves so that the third party in my mind no longer exists. I don't know who the leader of the third party is. When they, it's when we had our London, it doesn't matter. When we had the London election, can't tell you what third party's name is. I could tell you everybody else who stood in London, apart from the Liberal Democrat leader. So they're now um, so insignificant to the masses. The fact that I can tell you, I could tell you what Count Binface's manifesto was, the fact that my, nine-year-old niece was like really impressed by the two YouTubers but those people are never going to they're never going to win and the fact that London where I live in Brent we returned more votes for Brendan Harrow returned more votes for Sean Bailey when I live in the most diverse borough in 
London and therefore by default the most diverse borough in the country. I don't think that they're scared about losing their way. I think everybody else should be scared about losing their, their, their significance. And this cultural war, when you're, you're responsible, I think it's, I don't know if disingenuous is the right word, but I feel that who are you at war with? Because you're, you basically put in power, um, the DG for the PPC is one of your people. You've got new media companies coming in who are also going to counter anything that the BBC does, which is remotely um, liberal now with the Fox News and this GB News coming here as well. You've got the newspapers, which on the main are more to the right than to, to the center or to, um, to, and definitely to the left. So are you only fighting yourself and you're creating battles that no one actually- well, that's the kind of the point that I'm making. Like they've got their people in place. The director general is an ex-Tory parliamentary candidate. Like it seems like they're stitching up everything in such a way. Because I mean, even 2010, 2000, even in comedy, it was different to it is now. Do you know what I mean? Like it feels like, for for instance, like okay, this new Tory's come in. He's gone. First thing he's gone. We're going to get left wing left wing comedians off TV you know, because that is something that people will listen to. So it seems to me like they are putting stuff in place. They are threatening Channel 4. If you do this again, I mean, like in the last election where they had the block of ice instead of the Tory, because the Tories didn't put anything in, then Channel 4 started to get a lot of grief. The BBC were getting a lot of grief. If you dare to keep doing these things, it almost seems like it's, I understand the culture war, what you're saying is kind of fake, but there seems to be some kind of Tory tyranny you know, and also what Femi says as well, it's also, they are putting black and brown faces, and we mentioned that quite a bit on this show, they have got the Pretty Patels, they've got your cousin Quasi, they've got, he's not, he's just gone here. I can't stop lying about that, no, because it's your cousin's surname. He's your people, I'm afraid, Elaine. They've got the Quasi's, they've got the do you know what I mean? And even though what Femi pointed out, actually, if you look at Quasi, it might look on the surface that Quasi is a great big, you know, uh, diversity pick, but Quasi went to Eton, Rishi went to Winchester. Mm. I don't know where the hell Pretty Patel came from. I think she was just literally raised from hell. I've never heard anything about her being a child. I've never heard Lags about her. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't know where that one came from, but so do you think, I mean, Aisha, you were gonna point something, were you gonna add well, something? Well, there was a couple of things. Like, how do we fight that is what I'm asking. Well, there's a couple of things, yeah, and, and it's both of them both a little bit statistical, but so I think it was, I think it takes one, there's something to do with voting in that is already heavily rigged, so every time a government gets in or a party gets in, they do gerrymandering and they mess around with the boundaries to affect things in their favour, that's common, but in the last election, I think it was, the Tories had to get one vote for every 38 Labour votes to have the same impact. So we were already very, very orders of magnitude um, the, the systems rigged against the left and certainly Labour, regardless of whether it was Corbyn um, in power or not. And then there's also the fact that I think it was in the last two elections, under 50, Labour won, despite those numbers. Mm. So that, when it comes to this cultural thing, I definitely think, actually, I think you're right, Abba, this is a plan because... If you waited 20 years, 
that, that there's not those people are too old you can't rely on the whole oh they once they get to 30 and own a house and have kids they ain't owning a house <laughs> you know, no. they're gonna have 50 plus thousand pounds of student debt so they are they are necessarily more likely to be one working class and two left wing unless you drag up racism and drag up a culture war but it's racism in a fucking different name excuse my french i'm why excuse my french i've never done it before i'm not about to start now um but yeah unless you and they, then they need they need that because otherwise what have they got apart from revolution i dropped the usual word i use in front of it so we don't have to cut yeah, it there's definitely a generational <laughs> thing and a class thing as well i mean it's a matter of if you can rally if if boris johnson and um cummings and all these people if they can rally people to think oh well the main problem in the country is people trying to take down statues of Churchill and defacing pictures of the Queen then people aren't going to think about um, the generational difference that you just talked about whereby old people own everything <laughs> especially old white people not old people in general the winners people who are being sent back to Jamaica on mass they don't own anything right um, yeah. but um, where the older generations own more than the younger generations and where as well you have the class aspects as well all of these things just get um get 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 wiped away um because you get people riled up over the fact that this is my queen and they can't take down a picture of my queen my queen i love her right so so yeah it's um it's a big it's a big show it's a it's it's, it's a spectacle it's a spectacle Can I to, come back on that? Oh. Yeah, I wanted to to come back on that because I feel like this is one question that I've asked a lot, second to obviously Pretty Patel being mentioned every show. This is something that comes up a lot. The right are really good, and actually as you're someone who creates narratives, maybe you can help us answer this question. The right are really good at knee-jerk responses and creating knee-jerk and creating emotional responses from people with tiny iotas of information. The left... We've, we actually have all the facts. We always have had all the facts. Truth is always on our side. And I, I never sound like an evangelist, but the facts bear it out. You know, years and years and years of statistical data shows that the left are always right. We're always more fiscally um, conservative. We always have more people live through our, you know, everything we do is significantly better for the country than the right every time. But somehow we are unable to get that message through. Help us. <laughs> That's I do think, yeah, I, Femi, yeah, I want you to sort of go on that because we are looking to you as our oracle today. But like, honestly, because you have come from, there's a, a couple of questions I want to ask you. Um, sort of going to that, I think it's hard because I was surprised to see that you were on LBC. You were on uh, Ian, is his name Ian Ferrari? Nick, Nick, Nick Ferrari. Nick Ferrari, so it's Ian, ah. yeah. <laughs> Nick Ferrari, I know, right? <laughs> I was so, last time I went, never again. I said, do not ever call me to be on that racist fat pig show again. And I remember once I woke up in the morning, I saw a call from LBC and then it cut off after two rings and I knew the time, that's all they could be calling for. But like literally, I mean, it's, I was surprised. How did you get onto that show? Because I'm finding less and less I'm asked to come on these things. And I find that we are being replaced with, the Calvin Robinsons, the, you know, the Mercy, whatever her name is, the, the Dominique Samuels, like they, those are the black voices they tend to want. So first of all, how did you end up on his show? And second of all, would you recommend that we do these shows? Because there is some argument with, in the black community, just don't do them at all. What would you say for me? 
so yeah, I think um, they like they've been, LBC has got me on a lot recently. Um, so we're, we're back a few months ago, well, month, no, last year actually, about this time last year when we were doing the whole Rosemary's Four thing. Um, the 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 king of the um the gammons, Piers Morgan, <laughs> invited me on to um Good Morning Britain, and I ended up having a very intense chat with him where he started denouncing rap music as um as um inherently violent and yeah it just got a bit intense and it was it was um yeah I think someone from LBC saw that me going head to head with Piers and then brought me on and I I think I, I, I don't know I think they like having me on because of the fact that I they, they can they, they love that they love their viewership doing all right if they can get some art kind of argument if they can get some kind of um especially if they can put an angle on it and you saw what they were trying to do there they were trying to well you saw what Nick was trying to do Nick really wanted the headline of that Twitter um, feed to be activist demands Queen's portrait to be removed, activist. And that's why he was trying to twist the words. He said, what about a current thing? So um, for me, I think they like to have on kind of voices that can be placated and black voices that are quite um, moderate when they think that's in their benefit and when the producers of these shows, because remember, Nick isn't necessarily the producer. Nick doesn't necessarily choose who he's going toe to toe with. And I've I've argued with. I've, I think that's the second or third time I've um, been on with Nick. And last time I also um, just wasn't taking wasn't taking his nonsense. I think he remembers last time I was on there talking with him, and that's why from the offset he was like, "Nick, we'll do it my way." If any of you saw the Twitter, it was it was horrible. Um, but um, yeah, I think that they they the producers know that a good argument. A good argument between um, between two opposing views can can rack up um, views, right? And so they 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 still do want some of those voices that um, say things that are a bit more radical. But when you, they are on, when you are on, they will try and wheedle you into saying something that they can use as clickbait, right? They'll try and wheedle you into saying something that you don't necessarily mean, or even saying something that can just be, as you said, used as a headline to get people's um, get people's tempers going. And I think with this particular case, with the portrait, they thought, okay, who can we call that is gonna take the view that um, it's a good thing for the Queen's portrait to come down? Because um, if they just called someone who was like, oh no, if they just called, I think what was it, Andy Burnham came, came out and said, oh, oh, it's, yeah. it's some nonsense about how it's bad that it came, right? So they thought, okay, we'll call him and then we'll find a way of making him unreasonable but it, because of the fact that I'm not, I'm not an idiot. Um, and Nick Ferrari is a bit of a, um, is a bit of a old gammon with no um, critical reasoning skills. It, it didn't quite turn out the way that he wanted. Um, but yeah, I think that they, Would you recommend that and yeah, the question of whether we should, pardon? Yeah. The question of whether saying, we should, should go we? on. Yeah. I think um, if we're prepared, and if we're not going to fall into their rabbit holes and their cat traps, and if we can be be bothered, because at the end of the day, it's not, we're not getting paid to go on LBC, <laughs> right? Um, then there's You're nothing. Not. Were you getting paid for your appearances? Yeah. Okay, I need to you next time. To call, call me then. I'll, I'll show you afterwards what you have to do. I'll tell you what you have to do. Mm -hmm. But yeah, cool. God, no, I don't go. I got, I get, I got paid for Good Morning Britain. I haven't been paid for LBC so far. Um, oh. But cool, good. Um, oh, reparations yeah. for that painful time. Of you need course. it. Of course, cool. 
bless. Good knowledge. Um, but yeah, I think that as long as you can play them at their own game and you can trip them up and make Nick Ferrari and these other people look like idiots and peers look like idiots, then there's nothing wrong with going on. If you, you go in and you're not prepared and then you fall into the rabbit holes and they manage to twist, then then I wouldn't go on one of those calls if I wasn't prepared and didn't know what I was going to say. And I also wouldn't go on and allow myself to be um, disrespected by these people. If they try and speak over me, I'll try and speak back over them. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. if they say anything too disrespectful, I'll hang up the phone, right? Yeah. Um, but I do think that there's still something, because just because of the fact that these, these radio shows and these TV shows as well, they have large viewerships and um, they, you, you might well change someone's opinion or at least um, expose the nonsense that the show is doing if you, if you address it in I the right way, that- right? I think you have to. There's people that I'm glad to see. I was really glad to see you doing that circuit. Do you know what I mean? Because like I said, it has so for so long, they've started to use a certain type of black or brown person. And I do think that you have to, because I think, I mean, when I certainly did mine the other day um, about the portrait on RT, the guy came with some non, you know, he's like, what are the Queen's picture? And their soldiers have their limbs blown off. I was like, mate, you need to calm down. (laughs) It's a picture. Like, let's not do all that. And I think you do kind of have to to say. So as someone who had the opportunity to be the next quasi um, (laughs) and basically go into politics, and you could probably be a Tory councillor or whatever, you know, or Sean Bailey, if you wanted to be. Would you say it? what is, I know, right? I've asked this before, but this is very relevant to you. I've asked it to different guests, but would you say you can change more in the world through politics or through art, considering what you've, the film you've made, which is huge? I would say it depends on the individual one. Some people don't have, I mean, to be fair, I think a lot of politicians in terms of their personalities, there are some politicians, some skillful politicians who are very charismatic and are artists in the way that they they do that, right? But in terms of, um, I'd say that you can change the world in many different ways and it depends on the circumstance and it also depends on your skills and playing to your own strengths. And I know that my strength is not necessarily sucking up um, and, um, and, and kind of being, kind of playing I don't know I think that I, 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 I could do the whole politics thing um, but I'm more of an artist um, and I, I think that the, the, the film and especially media we forget the extent to which and when I say media I don't just mean the media I mean media right I mean like um, TV um, print media literature all of this stuff it really, really, really shapes the way that people view the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that creating media and being able to, to um, get it out there, and there's politics in that as well, because it was very difficult to get BBC to, <laughs> to show a film which actually shows the realities and horrors of colonialism. And we had to get them to do it about French colonialism, right? And the next thing is to go to the French funders and be like, cool, can you now pay us to do a film about the British in Kenya or something? Because they, they've already paid us to do a film about you. Play them off against each other. Divide and rule like they divide, <laughs> divided and ruled <laughs> on our side, right? Um, but um, I do think that, um, yeah, I think that 
they're different different um, routes for different people. What's that? That's a good point. No, that's a good point. It is like there's some people who have that kind of personality, some people who don't. Do you know what I mean? They'll be very uncomfortable yeah. going on to one of these shows and, and basically saying what they think as well. And, you know, you've gone to the art. Soweto Kinch, he went to Oxford. He's obviously mm -hmm. now a massive jazz player and stuff like Riz that. Riz Ahmed as well did PPE. Oh, yeah, Riz did, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. Uh, okay. I was going to say, I think it's very important, and obviously um, when I talk about my book club and things, that when I think about my education, um, so yes, I went to Russell Group University, but I stopped doing history in year nine. So if you're watching elsewhere, when I was 14. Um, and, but I had a really good English literature teacher and she made sure that we had to read around the subject. So you had to read to understand the situation that the person was writing in. And but when you talk, when they've talked about decolonizing the curriculum, um, that's what makes me very sad. Because I'm sure I really don't care if if they do if you do get taught about Henry the Eighth and his wife, six wives, and if you are full sped about the Second World War ad infinitum, because that's the extent of my history. I've learned about World War One and Two, the Titanic. This is my secondary school um, history. And 1066, the last time Britain was invaded. Yeah. Um, and all the rest of it, if it was based on the national curriculum and, and history, it's actually really poor. But it's the other subjects. It's through art, it's through music, it's through English. I think English is probably one of the most important subjects that somebody can learn if you've got an amazing teacher who will teach you these things. It's, it's through drama. And that to me is like, when I watched your documentary, I was blown away because if we were relying on being taught, what was I said, like our, our shitty history at school, we'd never know. And I, I think I messaged you as well, like we never get taught about Niger. Like Niger, people might think that you even get in Niger confused with Nigeria but we're not taught about Nigeria or Ghana or anything else in, in the English-speaking Africa, Africa. And so the fact that on the BBC that we saw something about a country that we'd never ever get to see, I've got to say that I'm really grateful to you. I'm glad that it's on the, um, on the iPlayer for the next year and hope that a lot of people utilise the BBC, whether they pay their licence or not, to watch to watch it because it's it's it's, it's a it's a form of history. Click that box on iPlayer. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and um, and they get to watch it because you're learning, and then you get to understand why when you're watching what's happening from in Wembley from this Saturday, the Euros. Why does the French team have so many black players? It's not because yeah. it's not because of the fact that France is benevolent and the all these Africans wanted to eat croissants or whatever. It's because France were also colonial powers too. And, and the documentary will show will show that because it- We're definitely gonna put a link to it yeah. uh, in, in the comments. I keep forgetting, we talk about decolonizing the curriculum. And when we had Sean Sobers and Adam Elliott Cooper on, it was another way they said of doing it. And your cousin as well, mm -hmm. Elaine, mm -hmm. Louise, yeah. she said not to call it decolonizing the Can you remember what it was, Aisha? I call it expanding, it? broadening the curriculum. Yeah, because uh, yeah, because when I'm thinking about um, 
it's funny because when I'm talking thinking about the books that I read like this year I think I've made a conscious well it was a conscious decision that every book that I've read is written by a black person or somebody who isn't white and one there's a reason why we're all writing in English but two we've got really great stories that we can be told and like and it's not just stuff that came after the 70s they're amazing 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 stories and Yes, again, if you're reading around the context of somebody writing, you learn so much about a situation. Um, like growing up as a in a Ghanaian household, I'd heard of Biafra. I did not know what Biafra was. But now when you're on Twitter and you're seeing um, that the after effects of Biafra are still taking place in the past week, sorry for me, where the president of Nigeria can actually mention Biafra in a tweet and get blocked off Twitter. You, you see how important it is to learn from these books, but we're not gonna learn from them if you're reading, I don't know, like a 1950s, 60s, 70 equivalent of um, Chinua Achebe or a 20th, 20th century equivalent of Chimamanda. Um, not to say that the writers that are white aren't good, but we are equally as, and you'd learn so much more about the background of your, your one black friend or your neighbors or the guy who you've gone to see in a Chinese restaurant or the Indian restaurant or whatever. So it's really sad that now that we've got access to the internet that there seems to be a push to make us look like we're going back to William Claxton's time when we get in our news from the one printing press. Oh. I'm done talking for now. I think, Femi, you made a really good point there because um it's something i spoke to with amir rahman mm -hmm. as well who's an australian comedian muslim guy i don't know if you've seen that he, he's got a couple of really famous clips um which ava can't remember now. one of the famous um, ones reverse he racism and why it doesn't exist reverse racism exactly and then that went just viral and then he had another clip about is it ever okay to punch a nazi He's an Australian Muslim guy of Bangladeshi um, descent. And he was saying to me, what we tended to find was we had more success with our comedy out of this country because we were talking about racism in this country. So yeah, exactly how long was the process for you to get your film made? And did you pitch anything about racism in this country? Because we tend so to find like other, yeah. So yeah, the um, no, the film from the offset was about this particular mission in France, um, and the process it was years. Um, I mean, I met the guy who I worked with on it, Rob, um, and from the point when I met him, and he'd already done a bit of research, um, but then we started doing research together and developing the script together, and then we had to talk to the BFI, and we got some money from them. Then we had to talk to the BBC, and we got some money from them. We had to do a pilot film where we kind of talked about the idea. And then there was a whole year of editing. So the whole process was probably at least three years of, 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 of work. Um, and there was a whole year after when we even went, which was kind of editing and bringing stuff together, which is why we then managed to get stuff in from the, the George Floyd protest last year. So it's a big process. Um, and it is a process where there's a lot of people, as you say, who are like, oh, this is quite controversial. And even the stuff that, I mean, I know that some of you have seen it, some of you haven't. But the, there's a scene where we talk to some uranium miners 
Um, and that, because it's kind of a bit more recent and a bit more real and a bit more now, and it's not just history, there was a lot of controversy around kind of getting that in and how we got that in. And thankfully, we managed to sneak it into the film. But yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes. Yeah, so for someone who's like a young person, it's like, I love that idea, I want to tell a story and stuff like that. Would you say, did you, so who was it a production, was it a production company behind it? Like we've done a bit with Rogan Productions about Subnormal or whatever. Did you have a production company behind you? I must confess I haven't seen it yet. Sorry, Femi, I'm just, uh, think my child's annoying, but I am going to watch it, definitely. But did you have a production company behind you in the end? Or what do you think it would be best for, what would you recommend to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, so we had a small production company, Inside Out Pictures, and then we also, um, it's just myself and Rob as well, working a lot on the the meetings with 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 these guys. And the main two backers, I say, with the BFI, the British Film Institute and the BBC. And so I'd say that the best thing to do if you're interested in getting involved in this is to firstly get your idea together and get a um, get get like a script and a treatment and then try and find the people who you can pitch and network to and, and, and also just start start telling some um, stories in the local community as well if you can grab a camera and just start putting together because even if you even if you can just put together like a pilot film which kind of on a very low budget tells the idea of the film that you want to tell in a broader sense or begins to tell that then that content is going to help you then find more resources to go and actually make the real thing right and um, I think the battle is still always going to be there in terms of being able to tell our stories and tell them properly and not tell them from a um, kind of whitewashed angle and we're seeing more of it um, I don't know what you guys made of the small acts uh, series that came out recently but that was quite a bit of representation of we kind well, of carry on yeah I loved it I mean I thought it was hard going some of it I mean I'm mean, courtier who wrote Love is Rock, he's a friend of mine anyway. Um, loved that one. That was the most uh, enjoyable one for me. It wasn't a hard watch. Mangrove Nine, I had to watch it in three different parts. It was very hard going. It was just very, very triggering. Um, we reviewed, um, because they've now gone on and Rogan Productions have made Subnormal and they made Black Hour. And we reviewed both of them um, for them and sort of help promote those ones. And it was, they, they were really good, but they were, if you're talking about the small acts, particularly those five films, I thought it was great. I think it was great to see that kind of thing on the BBC. Aisha? Oh yeah, no, I love about them. Small acts. Yeah. I love them. I really we, love we, them. We, we what was that? I was gonna say, we recreated Lovers Rock in your, in your kitchen. In my kitchen we did. <laughs> we did dedication to a blues party there. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think um, I have to agree with other, the other, I found education and Mangrove Nine really harrowing and um, certainly Subnormal yeah. was one of the education was Like, I mean, you know, and it just, yeah. but I think what they're doing is really similar to what you're doing. It's really, really, really important. And actually if we, we've had a long time of wanting these things to be publicized, wanting them to be exposed and wanting people to know what we've been up against and the history of why we're here you know what we always say we're here because you were there you know that that whole thing that that needs to be said so i guess and really i mean 
is it really for us? That's the thing. I always feel a bit like it's like anti-racism training. I don't, I don't need it. Do you need it? This isn't really for us, is it? It's really that we want white people and people from other ethnic groups to understand, right? Because a lot of us do. But I still learn a lot. I like the education episode in particular. Mm. I I didn't know as much as I should have about um how the and it got me googling stuff and it got me kind of especially the younger generations right because a lot of that stuff was quite historical and so I didn't know as much yeah. about the manga of nine history and the rest so I think for sure a lot of it is so is for them and even my documentary is kind of sometimes geared towards kind of um cool this is you what you did <laughs> this is like look at look at the reality of what you did look at the reality of what Europe did and it's, the voiceover and stuff is, is geared there, but there's still a lot of people who aren't necessarily as, and we've come back to that same word, woke, right? As woke as within the black community, as um, as others. And so it can still well, be like useful. the ones that voted Sean Bailey. Yeah, like them, <laughs> like them ones. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, just quickly. Oh, sorry, Elaine. So I was gonna say Elaine. with, um, with regards to um, small acts, that particularly with the Mangrove Nine, I think for myself, because of where I live, that it was I'd be more familiar with it, even though I haven't got a Caribbean background. But there are a lot of people who didn't know, and it's quite sad when I'm thinking again when you're thinking about um, the um, the fact that was taking place at the same time when you had the Guildford Four issues when you had the Birmingham Six but I remember at uni because I studied law that I learned about um, and I met um, one of the Guildford um, Four because they came to our uh, they, they came to our uni for to, for, to give a lecture but it's understandable why we wouldn't know but guaranteed if that had been an American court case when we had to learn about um, Martin Luther King and Selma, and for it to be such a groundbreaking case, we would know. And I, so I think that it's definitely important and it's great. And I thought, I thought it was amazing. Um, I really liked, um, I think that the um, education one was, all of them are really sad, but the education one really, really shook me. And even I watched Subnormal, I, I feel like the education one was felt a bit more impactful when watching Subnormal because of the fact it was dramatised. And I love documentaries as well, but um, as a sister piece, they did really well with that. Oh. I think it's, um, for me, I don't know, Femi, with you, we've got to finish in like literally two minutes, but like, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Sorry, Femi went silent. So um, would you say, because I will often sort of quote like Nelson Mandela, irrespective of whether you think you're going to change everything, because they will say to him, why did you keep going to court with Oliver Tambo? How did you feel going into that court every morning in front of that Afrikaans judge, knowing you're going to lose? And he said it was to, to make a record, mm. you know, so that people can actually look back on, on what has happened. Um, would you agree that's important, Femi? And is that something you're trying to do? As in to make a record of the you, history, or? like, like, um, yeah, like Elaine said, you, we haven't heard. People don't know what happened in Niger, 
and stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's important to get these stories out to, so that there's a record that people can look back on? Because like Elaine said, you know about the Guildford Four, you know about this, you know about that, but Mangrove Nine was happening at the same time. Not many people knew about it. Mm -hmm. And then that's like the first, I kind of know what the answer would be, but I mean, I kind of want to see your perspective on it. And then the last question I'll ask you is, uh, and we kind of touched on it as well. Do you think it is more important because we had Ghislaine uh, Kuani on last week and she's just done a book living while black and she's made it really important that that book is for black people but you spoke about having a bit of your documentary for white people do you think in filmmaking where we are in this country do you think at the moment who your target audience should be white people or no I think I think um so I think for the addressing the first thing, of course, um, it's important. And, and as Elaine was saying before, um, there's other subjects, there's English, there's all of these different subjects which need to be broadened or de 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 um, colonized and history is only one of them, but history is one of them. And we have this false narrative. And as I said before, the, the link between the curriculum and media is very clear. We, we hear these stories constantly of, as you say, the Battle of Hastings um, and like um, the Henry VIII, and what kind of TV shows do we end up with? The Tudors, the dramatization of Henry VIII, right? And Downton Abbey and all these kind of, and Downton Abbey is like a period drama. You have all these period dramas about kind of posh white people in the 18th century and nothing about all of the slavery, which was enabling them to live their lives, right? And so um, I think that readdressing this history and documenting this history and um, it's through me through kind of boring academic books and the rest but then also through media because people don't read boring academic books people watch tv and um and um this kind of thing right is very important um and it's something that i, I think is, is 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 happening more and more uh and then i've just spoken so much i've forgotten the second part of your question so could you remind me of it <laughs> i would say to you just as a final question do you think when you're making these stories, do you think it's important just to, do you think it's important to aim it at black or white people or just oh, neither? Yeah. Just tell the story. I, I think, tell the story. There's always going to be a, um, you're always only to some extent going to be able to kind of um, change white people. <laughs> um, and you can always like, you can always make them think, oh, um, maybe reparations is a good idea, but are you going to be able to get them to dip their hands into their wallet? That's the next question, right? And so I think there's always going to be an element at which these stories, if they're going to make real difference, have to be um, aimed at um, uplifting and educating and helping to organise our own people. But at the same time, I do think I, that there are there is something to be gained from um, broadening it such that, because we are in a country where we have, um, white majority population and there are people who are allies who are going to help and there are people who are potential allies who think of themselves as good people and who have been indoctrinated and um, misinformed by the education system and the media of this country and if they can have their worldview changed then that's a good thing and so I do think that um, both it should be aimed at both in some ways but then obviously yeah. each piece if you have an hour slot on the tv with two five minute advert breaks and you only have 50 minutes to tell a story then you're going to have to tailor the story in some kind of way and you're going to have to make choices and so i think it depends from um on which media outlet it is i mean this is as you say this is this is a show for black people right and so we're talking in a certain type of way um if, if we were on a different show we might kind of tailor the conversation differently and so i think um 
both routes are good, but it should shouldn't be you shouldn't kind of say, cool, we're not engaging with any non-black media, we're just siloing ourselves in our communities, but you also shouldn't kind of pander everything so that it's respectable to a white audience. And so some kind of middle ground. Perfect. I think that's the perfect way to end. Thank you guys um, for coming on. Guys, it's film was saying really fast goodbye. Uh, thank you for watching Black Women's Hour. Our next guests are going to be, we're not quite sure, but we're going to be speaking about cynophobia on our next show. All right, guys, thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Say bye, everyone.